A big episode for the Emerging Cricket Podcast as the Cricket World Cup qualifier continues. All the fallout from the competition thus far in Zimbabwe. A couple of things to add before we do jump into the show. Uh, some news that's kind of come through after we've recorded. Uh, we did talk about Ireland extensively. Since our chat, Andy Balburnie has actually given up the white ball captaincy to Paul Sterling. We do talk about Ireland in a little bit of detail after their exit from the tournament. We do talk a little bit about Zimbabwe as well, who are already knocked out as this episode does go live. So just bear with us a little bit for this week. We wanted to try and get this one up as quickly as possible, Uh, but the competition seems to take a different complexion almost every day. So enjoy this one. And if you are a patron, you get an extended version of this show. A warm welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast live and on Sport FM in Perth. Stay in your crease, enough bags, uh, <laughs> cricket's on. Enjoy some uh, Emerging Cricket coverage as we dissect the Cricket World Cup qualifier going on, or oh, the action thus far at the tournament. We can, I suppose, give a post-mortem of a couple of teams, a few teams in fact, and, and look ahead towards the the business end of the tournament, joined uh, by the full original OG podcast crew here at Emerging Cricket, Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner. Let's first go to Vanuatu, Tim. Uh, Long time no see. How's things over there? Everything going on in your part of the world? Very busy, but uh, how are you? Hello, Daniel. Hello, everyone. Yes, I am well. Very, very busy. Just come back from two weeks in Darwin with the under-19s and I'm in middle of a 12-day spell where I'm actually in Port Vila before I jump on a plane over this weekend to go down to South Africa for the ICC annual conference and then come back after sort of eight, nine days there for a sum total of 24 hours before we head off to PNG for the regional men's T20 World Cup final. So a little bit going on, a little bit of a head cold I think from uh, just time on planes and change in temperatures and whatnot. So yeah, just trying to get through the haze while uh, trying to juggle all the balls preparing for uh, many, many plane trips. How are you? Good. Uh, glad to report that I will see you in PNG for that qualifier coming up later in the month. I just want to get your thoughts and feelings, I suppose, of that South Africa trip. It's pretty important in the grand scheme of, of the game, those meetings coming up. What's your kind of viewpoint of all of that? I know this is a pretty sort of loaded question, but uh, yeah, thinking about ahead to that uh what's in the in the back of your mind yeah there's always layers to these things it's a bit like when we talk about our world and our kind of view of the icc and icc development team etc etc it's a bit like that with these meetings too because there's always politicking and jostling for positions on the various associate representative boards this year it's the election for the chief executives committee where there are three representatives there that go onto the cec and then of course as we look forward to the actual full council ICC meetings, or at least what will come out of the meetings into the full council, will be the, the adoption of the new revenue sharing model. So, you know, it's not a state secret that not no one has actually been officially informed of, of what this will look like. What we all know or think we know is, has been leaked into the press and, and been reported. So at the moment, we're sort of flying blind, which makes things always challenging um, when you're looking forward. You know, we're already in the seventh month of the year and and we should all be putting plans down for 2024 and beyond but I guess from full members down to the smallest associate down to 
members or members trying to get onto the list. The sooner we know what's going to be happening from a financial perspective, the better. So I think it's going to be quite a... Well, there's going to be... <laughs> how much is news coming from ICC Global annual conference is exciting, but I think there's going to be a lot that comes out of this because we'll also see more of what the, the funding structure will hopefully look like. But again, these things never move too quickly, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. I haven't heard too much pushback in the press from countries looking at what the funding looks like. I think that despite it being sounding and feeling a little bit similar to how people spoke about what it was when the big three came in with basically India sitting at the end of the table saying, look, it's a bigger piece of the pie that we're taking, but it's a bigger pie and everybody will be better off. It has a, a similar feeling to that. Um, however, I think as we've discussed before, I think the game needs to take a bit more of a global viewpoint of its future and how it's going to grow and and the primacy of, of international cricket. And that's probably what I'm most interested to hear about because, you know, as we'll talk about further on in the podcast about some of these teams' performances in the Men's World Cup qualifier, we're reinserting a gap between the best emerging teams and, and the full members by not having a, a proper global league. So I think that in itself is drives a real wedge between those challenging teams and if we've got a lot more money in the pot we should be looking at ways to protect against that and also to to help those emerging teams get better quicker and also for teams that may be struggling to uh to sort of rebuild as well so i think that's something i'm really concerned about and i know that they've been working on a high performance strategy for for many months so i'm hoping that'll be something that will be also spoken about at at length there too yeah to the casual cricket fan outside of, of the emerging game it might not be you know particularly sexy a lot of this these topics but you know for us this is sort of our bread and butter and and what we kind of jump up and down and, and wring our hands over. So looking forward to the next couple of weeks and, and sort of the consequences and everything that comes out of that. And, and with Tim there, it kind of gives us a, a nice little perspective as to how it all goes. So, you know, from, from that perspective, look forward to all of that. Nick, bringing you in, I know that time might be of the essence for you uh, this evening as we do record. It is uh, your morning currently in Iceland. Um, we're grateful to have you on as part of the, the trio for this week. And you've done an amazing job over the last couple of weeks with Tom and, and, and others to, to put together the pod, Rod Lyle as well. Uh, how's things in Iceland and how are you enjoying the uh, Cricket World Cup qualifier going on? Yes, sunny. Uh, it's nice having cricket on at a somewhat reasonable time. Uh, a lot of associate cricket does get played at, at bad times for for the Australian viewer. So that's been good too. Um but yes, busy, busy, uh, a lot of work. But yeah, lovely, lovely time of year, actually. I'm starting to really appreciate this, um, the Nordic summer where the sun basically uh, n- never goes away. Um, there's a lot to talk about this week, but it's it's been a really exciting tournament and it's just been nice to be you know, watching top quality cricket. Yeah, let's jump straight into it. The Cricket World Cup qualifier going on in Zimbabwe. We're down to... Uh, the Super 6 stages now, although there are essentially three teams gunning for the last available World Cup spot. Sri Lanka have already locked up one. Zimbabwe, Scotland and the Netherlands competing for the final one as we do record. Uh, and we do record with the Dutch currently uh, in a pretty strong position against Oman. But looking at the two group tables, the two first round groups, Nepal, USA missing out on the Super 6s from Group A. Uh, Ireland and UAE missing out in Group B. Ireland in particular, I think, thoroughly disappointing in their campaign. It's been an exciting one for Scotland, and we might talk about them in depth a little bit later, as well as the Dutch and and Zimbabwe at home. But I think 
today is almost more of a post-mortem for the teams that are bundled out, given that we've got more information on that and we don't really have to deal with all the hypotheticals going on uh, for the rest of the tournament. We saw a lot of the discourse in cricket this week uh, centre itself around the West Indies failures at this tournament. Uh, I think, you know, personally, it's, it's a column A, column B situation where, yes, the West Indies are in a bit of a heap at the moment, but I think it's also down to the collective talent across the associate uh, and emerging members at this tournament that have really pushed them in unrelenting ways. See their defeat to the Netherlands, which uh, Nick, you and Tom discussed at great length, and that was a great listening for anyone who hasn't listened to that. Make sure to go back. But uh, where do we start? I suppose it's almost a bit of a, a good, bad, and, and ugly in terms of the campaigns. I think we might actually start with the likes of Ireland and the USA and, and their campaigns. Uh, Ireland finishing fourth in their group, missing out, uh, as mentioned, in USA winless in fifth. They actually had the USA an opportunity to really push the West Indies in that match, and in the end, they essentially tried to limit their net run rate damages. Uh, and then after that, they were particularly poor, especially against Zimbabwe, where they essentially rolled over and and died. Uh, <laughs> they were not fantastic against the, the Nepalis either. But to bring it to you, Nick, I suppose, to start, I know that you do have Canadian allegiances here, and I'm sure there's a little bit of schadenfreude uh, <laughs> in all of this. But uh, what did you kind of make of of their campaign. I know that they were stricken with some sickness and, and other ailments during this tournament, but they just never really seemed all that organized. We know what USA cricket's been in recent times, and they never had any semblance of, of what looked to be a, a threatening team. And it didn't help that Ali Khan was out for the first two games due to uh, that suspension he had. Yeah, I mean, that didn't help, but really you can't put it all down to that. They were you know thrashed pretty comprehensively in all their other games as well i, I just yeah I, I mean what what is what is going on in the us there's some kind of mental issue maybe because every time they roll up to these qualification tournaments they really do seem to struggle and you know this team is not necessarily i mean yeah they're definitely in the sort of bottom half of of quality in terms of the teams at this qualifier but you know they they do have some good players and they got here by virtue of their position on the cricket world cup league 2 ladder by playing you know pretty good cricket consistently over a, over a sustained period of time and yet when it comes to the tournament play they just fall in a heap and they they, they can't seem to get it together it's so i, I don't think it's necessarily a quality problem it, it just seems to be some kind of uh yeah I, I don't know if the pressure's getting to them or or they just don't quite have the, the mentality to take the step up and actually perform when the pressure's on because uh yeah i mean you look at them and they're pretty dismal and basically they performed in the kind of way that gets people to think oh why are associates here what a waste of time you know if you only saw the u.s play you'd you'd kind of subscribe to that belief whereas uh you know you, you look at the other associates and you see how much uh, they've improved over the over the last sort of you know time that the super league's been going on let's say uh you know the netherlands uh, playing consistent cricket and, and learning from it and obviously beating the west indies which yeah was an amazing result whereas yeah it just seems like the u.s they haven't learned any of their lessons their their team selections were kind of a bit strange they looked very limp in their approach you know the, the batting seemed content to sort of uh, trundle along and get to 200 or so rather than actually you know having a crack and and you know trying to push it to a more competitive total or even 
yeah, it's it's just quite bizarre, really, because there are quite a few guys in this team who are pretty good, but they just couldn't get it together. They are known as being rather ordinary players of spin. We saw them bowled out in the mid-30s well, yeah. against Nepal during the, the League 2 cycle, and I think at times they disappointing in, in that regard. There were individual moments. You know, Gajanan Singh made 100. Uh, Shahin Jahangir was imposing with the bat as well. Well, there is a pool of players in the US community who are of a pretty decent standard, you know, to the point where you look at players who are actually left out at times in this squad and you wonder, you know, they've actually got a collective pool of talent. I mean, someone like a Jasker and Malhotra, for instance, is someone that doesn't really get a look in anymore. So there is some sort of relative quality amongst the group. Organisationally, it just doesn't exactly look like they, they know what they're doing. And, and I think... And Tim, you might be the, the the best of the three to to weigh in on this. It just seems like you know organisational sort of dysfunction of of what that country and its cricket is has has led to a campaign like this. It, it's a topic that we bring up a lot. You know, when a nation's governing body is on its knees uh, and struggling on on the field, it tends to follow suit. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I think sort of looking on field just initially after them having such a strong. World Cup qualifier play off. I think we may have, I don't know if we had rose tinted glasses and then for them to have two strong tour matches as as well, just to see them sort of fall over the, the, the way that they did. But yeah, you can never ignore organisational issues or almost you can liken them to culture issues within within a team, especially with a, a side that's part of an organisation that's been so disparate for so long and the whole, whole point of all the work the ICC did was to bring them all together. But when you've, you've got all of the prep changes and the dysfunction as you're saying in the background everybody would be talking about it and you just get that feeling that maybe it it got into their heads a little bit here I don't know I sort of look at it and I'm in a similar position I sort of put my Vanuatu cricket hat on and sort of think well how much are you willing to invest in this qualifier coming up and how much chance do we have and you think if USA really thought they could give this a crack why were they not trying to organize matches to mean that their best player and a world beater really would play out his his designated suspension, meaning that he'd be ready, because Ali Khan is a bowler that can be taking three or four wickets in a couple of overs and destroy a top order, and destroy teams. And I just think that perhaps what we've seen here is a strategic. Well, you know, we don't have the cash, and it's not worth it because you know, as good as we are, I don't think we're ever going to be as good as the Windy Zimbos and. Uh, and Netherlands, Scotland's of the world, and, and maybe th- this is what we're seeing as opposed to, you know, tour matches were to see uh, Makamala and, and Jones scoring hundreds and them smashing 438, which is a, a devil's number, isn't it, for uh, for um, for, Aust- for Australian fans? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just got that feeling whenever I, I, I tuned in and as we were saying with the times being as difficult as they were in the middle of, uh, of the under-19 qualifier as well, there was only so much cricket I could watch. I just, just felt that they're just always just behind and, and, and as you say, they were sort of either chasing net run rate, making sure they didn't lose or they, as you said, that, that capitulation. And look, Zimbabwe have played really, really well, but uh, having a guy score 170 off 100 is going to really put you on the back foot and especially with the home crowd and support that they've got. But, you know, I think this tournament is just one of those, okay, let's uh, try and learn what we can from it, but we've got another three years of league cricket for us to, to try and get around there again and with a, a bigger World Cup to qualify for um, about how we can build. And as you talk about the players that are in the USA, and I think we all all know that the next three years is going to start seeing a lot more players become available and eligible for selection in, in the USA setup. So when we're having this conversation in three years' time, 
after the World Cup qualifier or during the sorry four years time, the World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe again. Tradition. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll be seeing a, a very uh, a very different USA side. But I guess your question to me was more from an organisational point of view. Um, look, it's, it's going to be the same thing we talk about in Nepal for all the money that the ICC is putting into these two members. You know, we, we and for the game's sake, we need to get it right because you don't want to be holding these these members up. And the USA has been mentioned again as you know a strategic focus for growing the game. I, I can only hope in four years' time we're talking about two teams that are coming from uh, a stable organisational base and and we're seeing the best of them on the field. Uh, look, there are so many different ways of playing against good spin bowling. You know, it's using your crease, using your feet, sweeping, um, reverse sweeping, especially if you're reverse sweeping with the spin. It's turning the strike over. It's it's knowing how you can still turn the strike over and score runs against the better bowlers, um, but not let them get too on top of you. But yeah, there's some real weird dismissals there that kind of you're just watching a golf in uh, in front of you. you weren't weren't you in sort of golf mm. in skill level or at least execution between that? And if these players are going to be looking to play major league cricket in T20, you know, we know how many left arm orthos are picked in those teams. So <laughs> if we want America's best to be shining on the world stage, I think that's something they need to do a lot better. Yeah, it doesn't bode particularly well. And you have to remember, they've got a T20 World Cup this time next year, pretty much, uh, that they're co-hosting uh, as a, you know, as an organization, as a governing body. And then uh, as a team competing in that too, they need to sort of hit their straps pretty quickly and maybe they'll put the eggs into the T20 basket with Major League Cricket and, and the, you know, the damage will be will be less. But yeah, I, I tend to kind of side with what you said there, Tim, in terms of, yeah, maybe the too hard basket this tournament, knowing that there was only 10 spots at this Cricket World Cup and maybe it's better for them to, to kind of look a little bit further down the track. I know we mentioned Nepal in that brief chat there, but I think... Probably worth actually going to Ireland first just to kind of look at a team who arguably had a worse campaign than the Nepalis, at least in terms of objectives and relative uh, hopes, I think, of, of each particular team. This Ireland team, I think there's no real excuses for their failure here. And yeah, we're hearing that there are more investigations as to what's going on in <laughs> Ireland cricket and to, you know, who we can put the blame on. I think collectively it's been a little bit of a shambles from top to bottom. They started uh, horrifically with that loss to Oman. Questions on, first of all, the squad selection, if what we're hearing about someone like Simi Singh is true, where, yes, he might have been injured in the build-up, but it wasn't an injury that would have kept him out for the entirety of a campaign. This is a guy that's made a 100 at number eight, batting for Ireland and provides a, a really good spin option in a place where spin bowling is reasonably effective you know you're batting Andy McBride as an opener now that's who you're sort of going for and it's you know nothing against Andy McBride but he's been sort of manufactured to do that role not necessarily you know partake in that role George Zockel might be a little bit different in that he has really improved his batting to become a middle order option but again we're seeing I think probably a theme of Ireland cricket in times gone by, maybe three or four years ago when we were a little bit worried after the golden age all called it a day and we didn't see the, the, the kids come through as yet. I think we are starting to see the really good kids come through, you know, the likes of, of Tector and others. But there's just a few glaring holes in this team at the moment. Fast bowling is a huge concern and, and they just didn't quite 
show up here at this particular tournament. Graham Hume and, and even Mark Adair weren't fantastic. I don't think they probably got as much out of Josh Little as they would have liked. We don't really know what Josh Little's relationship with Cricket Island is at the moment too, given that frostiness going on as well. There's a lot to unpack here, but you know they were desperate for a 30-year-old William Porterfield in this squad, I think, and and even someone like Kevin O'Brien, if it was you know one cycle earlier, it could have made all the difference. But yeah, looking at this team, Nick, you know it hasn't been a great track record early for Heinrich Milan. The captaincy record of Andy Balburnie also has to come under question. Uh, I don't really know, and and, and this is something that, that that you guys brought up in the production notes before we started. We don't really know who really takes on that role if if Balburnie does give it away. It's just way too many questions to answer for Ireland. And, you know, they've got to sort of hit back pretty quickly. They've got a European qualifier coming up for the T20 World Cup, Nick. Yeah, interesting point about the sort of senior heads. And, I mean, you know, you would think Balburnie and Sterling are the guys to be providing that role in the team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Sterling just kind of went missing in the first three games. And, uh, yes, he absolutely pummeled the UAE in a basically in a dead rubber and the <laughs> he thumped the US around so that they could get into the seventh place playoff or something I, I, the post qualification playoffs are, are a bit kind of the <laughs> reminds me of the 2019 uh, league 2 where tim went and saw hong kong against canada and uh, worst episode ever the, uh, the the sort of very depressing atmosphere of two teams that have already been eliminated and there's a whole kind of um yeah, mini tournament going on with the eliminated teams, which is, I find it a little bit strange. But anyway, when your senior guys aren't standing up and, you know, Balboni had a pretty underwhelming time of it. And yeah, Sterling has been good in the matches after they've been eliminated. So that doesn't help. But then, yeah, I don't know. There's just some very strange decisions in terms of team selection. I mean, Gareth Delaney batting down at what, eight, nine. I mean, I think he's better than that with the bat and yeah as you say <laughs> mcbrian opening can i can i just add nick sorry can i just add it will probably add to your point they didn't play curtis camper in the first game yeah. i mean if you look at that 11 between bowling and batting collectively he's probably in their sort of top three or four players full stop i, I can't believe you're leaving a player like that out and he performed i think he made 100 in the next game in that loss to to Scotland. Oh, yeah, he, he came in and, and saved their hide against Scotland for sure. I mean, yes, Scotland got over the line in a in an absolute thriller. Like This was one of the classic matches of, well, of that rivalry and, and probably of this tournament. But yeah, Curtis Camper got him in the position where they had something reasonable to defend. And that's after the top order failed a couple of times. And McBrien, as much as he's applied himself, and I, I really... I like McBrien as a cricketer. I, I think he's he's one of those guys that you know maximizes his talent and and does absolutely everything the team asks of him. You know he's a, he's a wholehearted performer. But if he's your go-to opening option for partnering Paul Sterling, I, you know that speaks to there being some real problems in in the overall batting lineup. And yeah, I mean where do where do Ireland go from here? I mean yeah, you mentioned there's another report coming out uh they had one after failing to qualify from the first round uh, in dubai a couple of years ago i mean they, they probably had one after failing to qualify in australia last year i mean how many reports do you need to just tell you that the team's not very good like i think there's just some questionable decisions being made and look we've we've seen all of these guys perform at various times and maybe it's a bit like the the us here that they they just haven't been able to get it all together in the matches that count because 
you know, they have beaten good teams across their Super League campaign. They beat South Africa. You know, they, they've shown that they can compete at this level. But yeah, now they've got into the tournament. It's just all fallen apart. Some of the decision making was very interesting. And, and well, and then even even the fact that they're selecting Graham Hume, who <laughs> ever since JJ Smith hit him for, I think, 30 or 34 or something in and over, I, I just, you know, every time I watch him bowl, I'm just thinking this guy is going to go the distance. And Yes, he took a few wickets in their series in Bangladesh, which I was honestly surprised about, and I was I was hoping that meant that he'd got better. But watching him here, I just haven't seen much improvement. You know, he just bowls pretty hittable trundlers, and and I just I haven't seen him ever be threatening, really, at any point that I've I've watched uh, him play. Also strange too that they had PJ Moore in the squad, uh, an ex Zimbabwe hmm. international who, from what we've been told, was informed that if he was going to play in this tournament, he would sort of bat in the middle order. So I think he plays for Munster back home, home being Ireland now, that can you please bat in the middle order for Munster so you can sort of blood yourself for this particular tournament? And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he's really played at all. So a guy with all that experience in Zimbabwean conditions, I mean... I can't help but think he would have given you some level of of understanding, but yeah, again, I think... Well, even even on that point, I mean, why are they putting him in the middle order when he's been an opener in the past and they're missing an opener? And and so instead of trying to get PJ Moore into shape as an opener, they're going to Andy McBride. I I just... This just, to me, speaks of some very muddled decision-making. It's a tough one. I mean, again, looking at it from the outside, and I don't know if, Tim, you want to sort of elaborate on this, but, I mean, I know we don't see everything. I know we don't see them in the nets every day, and I know we don't see a lot of Irish domestic cricket, but, you know, what do you think it tells a young kid coming through the Irish system that to open the batting for Ireland in one day international, the Cricket World Cup qualifier, we're going to essentially convert uh, Andy McBride to be what's being dubbed by Jared Kimber as a pinch blocker uh, to kind of see off any sort of new ball threat. And to be fair, there has been new ball threats in the tournament, especially if you play and bat first in the morning. So that that I think is one point that we can kind of give them. But what does that what does that tell the kids coming through in in the system that you know that's the option that they're going with and and that's what they're sticking with? Well, it feels like a bit of panic, doesn't it? If you're trying to just make the best you can by confirming players that you know in putting in this position, I sort of think, and I'm running through my head as we sort of think about the world that Ireland has now as compared to say Scotland or what Ireland had pre four member status we know that with their players don't get the experience that they used to in playing county cricket so you go okay well they're not playing as good cricket as they as they were but if you go back and look at the, the cricket they've had over the past three months they've been playing against Bangladesh they've been playing against England they've been playing against better teams than any of the other sides that they've come up against being Oman Scotland um, or Oman especially I should say um, there that have played so there's no reason why that having that experience they shouldn't be getting better and better so it you know I, I want to feel compassion for Ireland's situation that they're really struggling in the level of funding that they have to build a domestic structure that has those kids coming through but as you rightly pointed out how hard is it going to be to explain that to a, an up-and-comer of saying that we're going to move these players around to, it kind of feels like we really like this player so we're going to make sure that they they fill a spot in the team rather than picking someone that has has experience in that country in in, in that position so it's all all really challenging and I, I, I'm now sort of looking forward for it and 
And deary me, if I'm a, especially a Denmark at the moment, Ireland must feel like they've got a big target on their backs. And just very lucky that the Netherlands aren't there in a, a three-way fight for those two European spots. The fact that it's going to be Ireland, Scotland, Denmark, Jersey. And, well, you never know Italy with um, depending which players are on that list as well. So all the reviews that we're talking about or the things that are happening, is that going to happen now or is that going to happen after the, the T20 World Cup qualifier? And, and I'm sure amongst all of our networks, we've all heard the rumblings from within the side about from the coaching staff and above as to as to what's happening there so I, I just I hope for their sake they can get together and reform and I'm sort of thinking like a, a transformer uh, or maybe a Voltron type of thing and get back into a, a format that they're they're perhaps feeling a little bit more comfortable in because you know on paper they should be going through quite easily um, in Scotland in three weeks time but the way it's going at the moment with some of these losses you know it was just demoralizing for them to lose that first game against Oman they knew that they needed to get on off to a good start and tick that one off knowing that they then had Scotland then had Sri Lanka and to go down the way they did against Scotland you've got to win those games and to and and to not and to then to come up against you know Sri Lanka and and how strong they've been especially with the with the ball I think that's where we've sort of seen the real sort of gap between the sides yeah it was just just tough from that from the start and then with those decisions around selections as, as you mentioned it just felt like they never tournament never really got started for them we'll probably talk a little bit more about Scotland the next time we jump on because their prospective qualification is still up in the air as we do record like that of uh, fellow European associate powerhouses in the Netherlands currently or actually we probably could talk about Omar now really in that their campaign is over for you know all intents and, and purposes they are playing the the Dutch today, they're only really playing for, for pride. And Zishan Maksud was a, a late withdrawal in the uh, the game that's being played as we speak. Aki Bilias has actually taken the captaincy. And from what I actually did see early on, was quite proactive in his captaincy. It's actually a miracle that Aki Bilias is playing in this tournament, actually representing mm. Oman again at all after the tumour, I think it was, in his foot, I think, that, that kept him sidelined for quite a while. And then... You know, after coming back, he had that further setback in Nepal where he broke his hand trying to catch a ball in his follow-through bowling. Um, I got some intel, actually. Kawa Ali, who we were wondering as to why he wasn't in the squad, he's actually in the US and maybe a news story to, to keep an eye out on because he's probably one of their better players in, in the Omani cricket setup. It meant that Jay Adedra came back into the squad. We were probably a little bit harsh in the build-up to this tournament, and we said that, yes, Oman might be a little bit rusty. We sort of almost played down the fact that they played all their League 2 games earlier in the cycle. They still managed to finish in second, uh, but we just thought it might just be a little bit too late for them. Maybe they'd done their dash a very old side, uh, I think only maybe two players in the squad under the age of 30. One of them, Kashat Prajapati, who made a, a really good 100, actually, at the tournament. I think in some ways they actually showed us up a little bit. I think they did prove that, by all means, they deserve to be in this space. They've qualified for the, the Super Sixes and they were around, you know, in proximity to World Cup qualification. Bill Khan really did like the swing with the new ball, as we saw. Carly Muller bent his back and, and bowled hard and fast and copped a, a demerit point for uh, some of his celebrations there as well that uh, we haven't had a chance to, to, to mention. But look, I've got, I've got to say, I, I think I was quite pleasantly surprised by Oman in a way, Nick. I think, you know, we sort of put them maybe potentially in the bottom two or three with the likes of USA and, and UAE, but I think they showed a little bit more about themselves at this tournament. And yeah, okay, 50 over cricket is probably not their go out of the two white ball formats, but I think they showed a little bit of quality collectively across the group. And yeah, 
yeah, definitely proved not to be there to sort of make up the numbers. And they definitely gave it a go when, yeah, as we've mentioned with maybe some of the other teams, they might have put it in the sort of too hard basket and not really worried about a 10-team tournament. They gave it a decent crack. Yeah, I think, I mean, they showed quality that got them to qualifying second on the Cricket World Cup League 2 ladder. You know, they they basically qualified for this tournament a couple of years before everyone else because they, they played so many of their League 2 matches. And I think that also partly contributed to us us thinking they were a bit sort of out of it because, you know, they barely played any 50 over cricket for, you know, a, a year coming into this or, or more even. So it was a little bit hard to gauge how, how they were in the format. But yeah, they've turned it around. I think, you know, looking at the players in their team sheet, there's no reason why they can't perform. It was just more a question of, as you allude to, you know, they haven't played much 50 over cricket and the team's sort of getting on a bit in terms of age. And we have seen the signs of that as well, but also just that, you know, they're also a quality team. So we, we saw, for example, uh, in that chase against Zimbabwe where uh, Prajapati hit a very good century and they got very, very close. You know, Zimbabwe only won by 14 runs defending uh, 332. And Oman looked like they were in with a pretty good shot uh, with, with Prajapati going hard uh, and, and plenty of wickets in the bank. But, you know, Zimbabwe only got that many runs because Oman kept dropping catches and, and were sloppy in their fielding. And, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that Oman's sort of fielding standards and their fitness isn't quite up to snuff has basically been the difference between them and the more competitive associates like Scotland and Netherlands where you know the Netherlands as we discussed in that match against the West Indies were able to just run the West Indies ragged and and basically run twos and get their way to 374 with you know with it with sort of boundaries every now and then whereas Oman they didn't quite have the fitness to do that and yes they have the skills to clear the rope but yeah so uh, yeah I mean they definitely played a lot better than I expected but at the same time they kind of showed why they weren't ever really a realistic chance of qualifying because that they just don't have that uh, that sort of top level that is uh, is necessary to, to compete with teams uh, like Zimbabwe or, or the West Indies or Sri Lanka. I think it's it's probably safe to say that the four-year cycle doesn't help this team uh, too much. I don't really know what the look of this Omani team is going to look like come, you know, the qualifying stages in, in the next cycle. And you would think too that, you know, in this ne- this next League 2 cycle, however it does look like, and, and once we do have confirmation of it, we'll see a few new faces in the team. We're not too sure actually what the pool of players of quality is like in Omani cricket outside of this group too. So it could be a very interesting time. It'll be very tough to predict where they end up, you know, potentially in the next cycle. So I I think the elephant in the room is the West Indies capitulation of this tournament. And granted, being the Emerging Cricket Podcast, we're not exactly experts in, in this field, nor will we profess to be. But I think it's important to discuss the idea of what this all kind of means. You know, in the grand scheme of things for West Indies cricket, yes, it could probably feel like it's the lowest of the low. But I mean, when you put it in real terms for us as emerging cricket fans, you know, they don't need to worry about the cutthroat nature of a League Two or an associate competition in the next cycle because they are a full member and they're part of the Future Tours program and they can ensure that their ranking is of a good enough standard to automatically qualify for the next tournament uh, in Africa in 2027. So there's stability there. I think we can all agree that, you know, they're not in a good way at the moment. But again, we saw, Nick, the the idea of the argument that, you know, cricket needs a strong West Indies to be stronger for the game. And I think this tournament, if anything, sort of proves otherwise that if you are stagnant, you will be left behind. 
uh, at international level. And there are several members out there who are chomping at the bit to really give themselves the best chance at the dinner table to really enjoy quite a lot of international cricket. Now, we know that the door is somewhat closed in terms of FTP and other things like that. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, you know, cricket is not going to wait behind for West Indies in order to help with its overall health. I think, you know, judging by the funding and judging by the way that cricket is going, cricket's going to be here whether the West Indies are here or not, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, cricket needs a strong West Indies. Look, let me preface this by saying that, you know, I I like the West Indies cricket history. I, I think they're a really important part of cricket and you know, I, I agree that ideally we would see a strong West Indies and, you know, Caribbean cricket history has given us so much. It has given the game so much. So I understand the sadness, you know, the tide tests, the great West Indian fast bowlers, Clive Lloyd, you know, uniting the region beyond a boundary from CLR James. Like, there's so much rich history from this region. And, and I definitely understand why people are sad that the, the team is struggling. But you know, in a healthy sport, when one team declines and starts to struggle, other teams are allowed to come up and take their place. And, you know, the fundamental premise of the cricket needs a strong West Indies is that, you know, we need to have the same 10 teams or so always playing each other with no one else breaking into the club. And, you know, because the structural and you know administrative roadblocks that are put up against associates are so difficult to overcome, it means that when one of the teams declines and starts to struggle, it's a crisis of competitivity for the whole sport. Because when you only have 10 good teams, when one of them's struggling, well, then now you only have nine good teams. You know, that's 10% of your your entire, you, you know, the entire competitive standard. Whereas if cricket didn't have the financial, uh, you know, disparities between the teams, if they gave... Uh, everyone somewhat equal decision-making power if they let teams like the Netherlands just have access to their best 11, uh, if they gave lower-ranked teams more on-field opportunities to play against good opposition. You know, we saw how much uh, the Netherlands got better over the course of their Super League campaign. You know, if, if all those things were not in the way of associates, I think cricket would be in a much healthier place. And, you know, the West Indies struggling would be less of a problem because you would have a strong, say, for example, a strong Scotland or, or a, you know, a strong Nepal or whoever else coming up to replace them and providing competitive opposition to the other teams. Whereas because of crickets, you know, being controlled, you know, with a stranglehold by wealthy full members, they're all sort of out to protect their own position. And hey, guess what? The full members decided to cancel the Super League, which was the only form of meritocracy we've seen really in pretty much all of the World Cup's existence. So, yeah, things are going in the wrong direction for having a, a healthy competitive structure. And you allude to the fact that, you know, the West Indies are they're in the club, they're in the Future Tours program. I just want to quote Andrew Nixon's article on the topic, uh, which, which is a good one. It's on Cricket Europe. Quote, Right at this moment, some West Indian players are back home preparing for the visit of India for a tour consisting of two tests, three ODIs and five T20Is. England will tour in December and they'll be in Australia in the new year. Scotland's next five T20Is aren't against India. They're against Germany, Jersey, Italy, Austria and Denmark in the European qualifier for the T20 World Cup, a tournament the West Indies are hosting and hence have automatic entry to. End quote. And I mean, I think that pretty much sums it up. You, you know, the, as much as the West Indies are struggling and, you know, we, we saw them 
you know, they've lost to two associates so far in this tournament, which indicates the strength of the chasing pack coming up behind them. The teams that are consistently beating the West Indies, they don't get anywhere near the same opportunities to sort of take their place and you know, provide competitive opposition. So, I mean, that's that's the real problem. It's, it's not that a team has declined because that's normal in sports. You know, nobody's, you know, wringing their hands about, oh, no, football needs a strong Hungary. Whoa, Hungary hasn't qualified for the World Cup. It's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be ridiculous because there are so many good teams in football that, that can come up and take their place. This exact scenario could have played out in front of our eyes, you know, had Scotland had that decision go their way on that fateful day in 2018. You know, this is not a new occurrence. And you listen to the guys uh, doing the Caribbean pod and, you know, they've been predicting this for, for quite a while. This is exactly what's going to happen because the place has been, well, West Indies cricket has been a rabble. Even when we did the pre-event show for this tournament, we predicted that West Indies would not qualify for the World Cup. And it wasn't as if we were shocked by making that revelation or making that prediction when we said it at the time because we know that, okay, yes, it's a 10-team World Cup. And at a 14-team World Cup, you have to think too, you know, looking at this table right now, there's no guarantee they would have made a 14-team World Cup either had it sort of gone the way it's gone thus far either. But, you know, we weren't shocked when they missed out. And we're not shocked that, you know, they're out of contention now. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, okay, yeah, they'll be not there at a tournament in October and November. But as you said, and as Nixon points out, as part of the FTP, as part of the World Test Championship, they get to host England again. They tour Australia again. Not that Cricket Australia particularly want West Indies as a team touring two years in a row. But again, that's a problem for the haves and, and the have-nots. And again, you know, outside of maybe a mutiny or, or calamity within its own board and maybe the collapse of what West Indian cricket is and the governing body and all the questions that go around that, I mean, they've still got safety in the form of the FTP and the fixtures and everything else going around them. You know, Scotland, who have proven uh, that they are just as good, if not better, than the West Indies at this level, have no real clear indication of, of what their next four years looks like. Okay, yes, League Two will be in the calendar, but we don't know what that eight-team tournament's going to look like and how it's going to work. Uh, we don't know how much of a change it's going to be in terms of ICC rankings, what the tournament entails in terms of qualification for the next Cricket World Cup. You know, there is no safety there. And, and the only thing that's kind of helping the associate members along, the really high-end associate members, is that you get that many global events now between the, the T20 World Cups every two years and the Cricket World Cup every four that you will pop up and make an appearance every, every so often. But that's only really going to appease people for a, a really brief amount of time. You know, there's no long-term stability or, or financial security in that model. It's the ultimate contradiction in cricket in a way where, yes, they want the Men's Cricket World Cup, the 50-over World Cup, as, as the premier white ball global event. And the four members are here clamoring, asking for significance and context in 50-over cricket outside of, of the World Cup. But it, at the same time, it was the four members who were that adamant and, and that vehement about getting rid of the ODI Super League, which did provide context to international white ball 50 over cricket. And they've turned around and essentially asked the ICC why they've binned it, when quite frankly, it's all come down to the fact that, yeah, within the FTP and within you know the high-end full members, they simply don't see the financial benefit of, of doing it that way. I mean, that's why the Dutch have been frozen out of this competition, even though they've just shown as they've beaten the West Indies here in the Cricket World Cup qualifier that 
they deserve to be playing against four members consistently. And, and it was a result of playing four members consistently that made them this good at the Cricket World Cup qualifier. And to keep it on the field with the West Indies and Scotland, who we sort of drew comparisons with, you know, we look at that result and quite frankly, I can't think of a more one-sided game of international cricket where an associate has beaten a full member in the one-day game. You know, they Rick rolled the West Indies for 181 inside 44 overs and they chased it pretty much with ease over the course of 43 and a half overs losing three wickets and and chasing it pretty comprehensively and pretty confidently between Matty Cross who's back in form Brandon McMullen who is almost two cricketers in one uh, and a couple of contributions at the end I mean we could talk about this being a a microcosm of what these two teams are at the moment especially the West Indies but you know looking to Scotland can you think of a more dominant one-sided performance in 50 over cricket by an associate member over a full member Tim because I, I I'm struggling like you've got to go back probably more to, to T20 circles where you know you're a little bit more prone to that as a full member I, I can't seem to think of one here at, at 50 over level no you talk about established full member as well I think you know you've got to kind of have a bit of an asterisk next to the likes of Afghanistan and Ireland and uh, the way we look at things there I, I, look the way that Scotland batted against England was dominating and did England look like they were ever going to win that game when you're chasing it? Sort of sevens, it's always tough to, tough to stay on that. But yeah, anything like this, and considering that Scotland lost a wicket off the first ball of the innings to you know, a ball that nine times out of ten probably would have went for four through the, uh, the mid-wicket region that just so happened to be hit off the middle of the bat straight to the, the catcher there at you know, Alan Borders, so favourite position at short mid wicket. So they did that even with a wicket, you know, and after that wicket was went down, it was... You know, one for none, you know, two for 125, three for 162, and then, you know, and the game's over. I, I can't think of anything that comes close. And it's not even a, an upset anymore. I know there was a bit of chat of bigger upsets or bigger wins, you know, and I'll also always go back to Hong Kong beating Bangladesh in the 2014 T20 World Cup just for the the difference in, in class and experience levels and funding, etc. In fact, it was played in Bangladesh. And unfortunately, it's sort of the forgotten upset because of the fact it was the, the first round and Hong Kong didn't win by enough to knock Bangladesh out of their own host tournament. But, you know, it just frustrates me when I see these performances from Scotland. They're doing it with what they've got at the moment. Imagine what they could do with, with oh. better support and a proper a proper global league. And for all the hard work and, and all the challenges that they have within the game, I'd say within the game across Great Britain, we can say at the moment, you know, Scotland doing well is only good for the game's growth throughout that area and, and just the world it, itself to, to show that it's not just a kind of a, a South Asian crawl as people like to think it is across the world, that there's actually talented cricket is popping up in all these places. You know, Mark Watt, born and, born and bred in, in Scotland. You know, he's not someone that kind of had a, a Scottish parent with an, with an English cricket upbringing. You know, a, he's a proper Scottish cricketer and to see players like this excel, that's probably a little healthy too because otherwise England might be picking him for uh, <laughs> for the ashes at the moment with the way that he's playing in England's problems with spin. But yeah, like, I can't think of... Of, of anything uh, in the sort of our modern era. Oh, this ashes is void anyway, Tim. I thought that news got across to you in Vanuatu, but you're right. Scotland here, I mean, they are short, probably a trio of players in their own right. Uh, two fast bowlers we, we definitely know of in Davian Wheel. And there's rumours that 
Jones was asked and he didn't go. We don't really know the whole story there, but you know he would have bolstered up the the batting lineup. I think a little bit more as well. I, I still think they're probably a batter short of being a really good team here, Scotland. But again, they're just proving that they can churn out good results. And speaking of Mark Watt, he's probably the best number eight of the tournament, or one of the best number eights of the tournament. He manages to churn out important runs. If you're worried that we've forgotten about Nick here, uh, we haven't. Nick's had to sort of jet off uh, a little bit earlier, so it is. Tim and myself bringing it home, sort of drive esque radio PM style here in uh, <laughs> in the in the, the the southern hemisphere, Sydney Vanuatu time zone uh, time slot, I should say. Uh, Sri Lanka, I don't think we need to talk too much. They were sort of a class above in both batting and bowling facets. I think probably two teams to finish off here are uh, uh, Nepal and, and UAE, and similar themes here. I think Tim probably start with Nepal in that. They did come in with a lot of expectation and also a lot of news, uh, a lot of hype after their dramatic League 2 run. They won 11 out of 12 on the bounce to ensure they finished third. Granted, a lot of that was at home and might have masked a few things. They were good at the ACC Premier Cup at home as well. Uh, they struggled a little bit in the warm-ups and they came out. They gave a good account of themselves against the West Indies for memory. They beat uh, the USA, but I think they were just a little bit undone by maybe just the extra level a little bit looking at at the way that they played against the Dutch they were bounced out by the pace attack of the Dutch they were maybe a little bit found out definitely you know glimmers of of quality glimpses of quality that several runs they had a great start against Zimbabwe early in the tournament as well Kushal Bertel made a 99 at the start of the tournament we saw runs for a number of different players at the tournament uh, and a number of bowlers standing up as well Karen KC had a good campaign to begin but you look at this team and you know quite a lot of them are under the age of 25 it's probably four years too early for them I think they can blood themselves really well into the next cycle when there's a, a you know quote-unquote better chance of, of them qualifying I think the signs are overall pretty good, although they would be maybe a little bit uh, fractionally disappointed about how they went about things in in Zimbabwe, Tim. Yes, and I think similar to how we were talking about Ireland's tournament, it was the same for Nepal that they needed to to get off to a a stronger start. And they're a certain uh, leg spinner who's been just so dominant for them for him to start the tournament figures of you know, none for 77 none 58 and admittedly finish okay with taking a week against the West Indies two against Netherlands three against UAE I think that was if for, for Nepal to, to side through some of these sides they needed their star leg spinner to be taking three or four wickets and really putting them on, on, the, on the back foot and I, I was, it was intriguing to see Pendra Singh Irie's new role as he sort of floats up and down the order and I don't know look, you, you've been watching more of them of late did you did you find that quizzical the fact that he was batting so low in, in some matches and rather than sort of batting higher up and taking charge as one of their their, their senior charges in, in a young team it seems to be something that they've tried to do in the ACC Premier Cup and even the back end of League 2 where they kind of put him at 8 uh, I mean he's probably <laughs> I know we, we said just before that Mark Watt's probably the best number 8 of the tournament I think Dependra Singh Ari could probably easily make a case of that for himself as well they, they've rated his bowling his batting's been out of form his numbers aren't great but I mean he made runs in that in that last game that they played that, that we've seen against UAE actually and played a lot of confident strokes you know this guy's not a guy who has just forgotten how to play cricket because we saw him at under 19 level really burst onto the scene I think he was a key member when they beat India in under 19 level Uh, I think he's still in his early 20s and he's just the result of the way that Nepali cricketers do get blood into the senior team where yeah they uh, are flash and a bang and they're on the scene and they're 
there in the middle order and then they have a couple of failures they get a little bit found out and they get kind of pushed out and someone else gets to go at least the way that Monty's gone about this is that he has stuck with a similar consistent group of players he's just what he's just done is that yeah he's given them an extra batting option and, and, and batted at eight what it did do actually the first game of the tournament was actually sat out Lalit Rajbanshi for that extra batting option and it did probably cost them in a way that first game of theirs where you know Lalit Rajbanshi would have been a really good option with the ball but yeah to bring it back to Dependra Singh Iri there, there is a player in, in him on both sides of, of the wicket, you know, as, as a batter and as a bowler. It's just a case now of, of picking your horses for courses, I think. And Southern Africa, Zimbabwe was, was a good place for him, I think, to, to, to bat a little bit more. He, he does have more experience in this team than a lot of these other players, purely because he just played more cricket. And again, that's a ridiculous thing to say when, you know, he's in his early 20s still. So, look, I think there's a future there. And I think them... Nepal and, and UAE are two teams that will be going head-to-head f- with these group of players that they have now. Assuming that there isn't too much change or franchise cricket down the track, I think we'll see these two two teams looking very similar in the, in the next phase. I think Monte Desai overall has done a very good job. I think you know you shouldn't be too critical of, of the way they've gone about things in Zimbabwe. I think this is very much a, a learning process. And again, this is the, the first qualifier of, of this kind. And they get to play India and Pakistan later in the year uh, at the Asia Cup. You know, that's a perfect opportunity for them to really sort of blood themselves as international cricketers. They get a whole league two cycle. You would like to think with Monty Desai at the helm, they carry that continuity. They get to go to different places, really blood their batting on, you know, sophisticated, different uh, cultured surfaces around the different continents that League Two will be in, and I think they'll get a lot out of that. So, yeah, I mean, the expectations were were right up to the top after you know how they played at the end of League Two. But I think we need to add the caveat that yeah, a lot of those games were at home in front of a, a raucous home crowd, and then in UAE as well, and then they went to Zimbabwe, and yeah, you, you get put in the same group as as a team that has you know a raucous crowd just like theirs and, and you find out what it's like to be on the other side of that, you know, having 20,000 people against you rather than for you. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I, I might only finish to that. I, I guess all about what you can learn out of out of losses is also them dealing with the short ball. And I think that's something that uh, that Monty will be taking back with him because I'm sure any team that's going to come up against Nepal in the next short while um, will be looking to, it's not because I've still got the ashes on my brain and the way that uh, <laughs> the way that everyone bowled. I know we've mentioned the ashes. I, I apologise, everyone. Look, there's got to be something we can talk about. Something must have happened um, during that that last day at Lords. I can't remember, but yes. And as you say, they've got this great cycle to come. And look, if I'm in a League Two team looking forward to a full cycle of, of eight teams and getting towards a 14-team World Cup, it's quite an exciting cycle. And 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 yes, there's not going to be any mandated. ODIs against full members we can only hope that beyond the likes of the Asia Cup that there are a few little series here and there but we can only hope but the fact that they're going towards a 14 team World Cup and, and remembering what this looked like for the World Cup what it would look like for the World Cricket League Championship all the way back when and that was when Afghanistan and Ireland were in there and both automatically qualified for the 14 team World Cup in 2015 but so it'll be a little bit different this time but I think with four more places on the line uh, there's even more reason to get excited about 50 over cricket over the next three and a bit years yeah and just to carry on from that to quickly kind of wrap up i suppose our sort of post-mortem of a, of a couple of teams here uae i've got to say that they didn't really capture the imagination they weren't exactly a team that that stole a lot of headlines at this particular tournament um and that's probably a little bit harsh it's just what kind of happens when you're playing in 
a 10-team competition and you get sort of done in straight sets and you lose four matches out of four. Uh, as we mentioned, they were put away by uh, Sri Lanka by quite a, a margin, 175 runs. Uh, which was on the cards, and then they were a little bit disappointing, only posting 227 against Oman that was chased down by five wickets and with four overs to spare, essentially knocking them out. Uh, losers of uh, by 111 runs against Scotland, and then lost to Ireland by an even bigger margin. So, look, on paper and uh, in practice, unfortunately, too, it, it really wasn't the campaign to write home about for UAE. We, we know that They've had some rumblings of discontent over the last six months to a year. We thought that, you know, maybe they would have fixed things up. They've actually sort of, they let Muhammad Wazim sit out, tried a few different things from the captaincy standpoint as well. But yeah, just looking at the entirety of the campaign, even just looking at the batting and bowling, Frida Aravin was the top run scorer or the top run scorer as we sort of record with, you know, 142 runs at, at 28.4. You know, that's not going to win you too many games of cricket when that's your top scorer. There were glimmers. Basil Hamid at times showed some quality. Mohamed Wazim was okay. In the bowling, Ali Nazir, who's come into the team in recent times, uh, proved his worth, took six wickets um, as we do record. Janaid Sadiq, who did miss out, I think, the first game also has half a dozen wickets to his name but yeah you just look at that team and again a lot of youth you know the likes of Ayan Khan is 17 Kartik Mayapan is young Vrita Aravinda we've mentioned there's a couple of guys there coming through the under 19s Alishan Sharufu as well but look I don't really have a terrible lot to add to their campaign you know the less kind of said the better here with UAE but what we can say is that they take the experience of this away with them and then you know hopefully in four years time you would think that they would mount a, a more serious challenge yes and I think another team a bit like the USA or and Nepal that, that the performance in Zimbabwe didn't really reflect the momentum they'd had from their games before and the way that UAE played in the World Cup qualifier playoff I think surprised a few of us and yes they did go down to those three one dayers uh, against the West Indies in, in preparation but you'd have to say that was probably expected but then considering how West Indies have been matched by other other associate teams in Zimbabwe it probably tells you the level that the, that they were at but as you mentioned with some of those young names coming through and it's well documented the renewal that we've seen since 2019 which has been pleasing and they've got a couple of old heads at the top but you know old heads in the sense that age wise but not necessarily time in the team but they're another side I think they'll be looking forward to the to the next cycle as they as they re build but yeah as you say about the discontent in the background ever since uh, they, they they moved on coaching staff and admin staff and and had robinson come in so you can only hope for the tens of thousands that they have playing the game in in the emirates that uh, they can filter through to, to a strong international team yeah it's going to be interesting what happens if farmed raza plays potentially a bigger role on the, on the coaching side we're not too sure how all of that is going to go uh and as mentioned you know we are recording in the middle of of the Dutch taking on Oman. So any discussion of, of the Dutch, Zimbabwe and, and Scotland, I think we'll kind of powder our nose for the next time we jump on. But it's been a, a, an entertaining uh, World Cup qualifier. We've been able to see more of it given the uh, the stream at the second ground on top of the television production as well. We've been able to watch quite a bit of it. Multiple screens in the living room concurrently showing cricket is always a fun time cricket's version of of red zone if that could quietly come a little bit quicker than it's never been sort of made out to be then that would be great as well i suppose the other news i think maybe just to kind of wrap up this week's show uh tim and this was quite disappointing i think even before the qualifiers started was that crick info didn't send 
Peter Della Pena to the tournament itself. And then we found out as of the end of June, the start of July, that Peter Della Pena had been let go by ESPN. Crick Info was part of ESPN and, and Disney's cuts that they have made across the entirety of the business. It's not just a, a, a cricket move. Uh, I think PDP was just a little bit unfortunate in circumstance given that it was his contract that, that ran out at this particular time and it, and it made the decision somewhat easier for uh, ESPN, Crick Info and, and and the overarching business to to make this business call. But it, it does come at a weird time, you know, with the, the Cricket World Cup qualifier on. And, you know, hand on heart, I think we can say, you know, as people who get to, to talk about and to cover associate cricket, that Peter Della Pena has been a Goliath in this space over the last 13 years, I think it was, he, he mentioned in his statement. And, you know, we've seen him at, at tournaments uh, in his element doing about five different things at once. And to me, this seems like a somewhat short-sighted move, but I just don't know what the kind of end game is in terms of ESPN Creek Info and its associate cricket coverage. We know that he's not the only person contributing to associate cricket in Creek Info circles. And we know that you know, others jump in and help out. But, you know, to us at least, he's been a voice in the space of associate cricket and a very trusted voice. You know, if it wasn't for him, a lot of the, the politics of USA cricket probably never sees the light of day. And it's only taken maybe a couple of other people in recent years to kind of catch on and do similar things in, in the space to really call it out. You know, I can think of so many ESPN Cricket Info articles and news stories over the years covering associate cricket that had PDP not been there, we would have just been subject to scorecards and having to interpret things that have gone on rather than really discuss them. He's been one of the few people to really, I think, pin people with important questions in associate cricket because I think for a long time in associate cricket, we've seen that teams and governing bodies and players can kind of get away with a lot of things considering there hasn't really been a whole lot of media coverage in times gone past and it was someone like PDP who who actually went out and made sure that people were held accountable because that's what the media is supposed to be right it's the the fourth estate it's meant to serve a democratic function right so I've got to say I was I was bloody upset when I read the news because someone like PDP and someone like that job is one that you know I've kind of looked up to and and I think Tim you've probably would echo the same sentiment you know if it wasn't for someone like PDP I don't think we would have ever thought that there'd be an appetite for what we do here in this space at Emerging Cricket we've had him on the show uh, he's discussed his story and it's a fascinating story so if you get a chance to go back and and listen to what he has to say and how it all comes about. I think I'll probably be doing it at some point in the next week as well. But sad news, Tim. And I know that he will find himself doing something somewhere in the cricket space because I think he just loves it too much that that he won't do it. But, you know, the fact that, you know, arguably cricket's biggest organization from a media perspective doesn't have that voice anymore. It definitely brings up more questions than it answers as to how associate cricket will be covered going forward because, you know, a voice of that magnitude and such power, you know, an American accent on streams and, and in writing is, I think, had been very powerful to, to what cricket could be, especially in North America and in that space. But, yeah, it's it, it, it's heartbreaking news, to be honest, and, and one that I, I didn't particularly stomach very well, I must say. No, and there's different elements to this, it's sort of us knowing PDP, the, the person, and, you know, he's since I first met him in 2015 when I got the, the Hong Kong job, I, I count him as, as, as a friend first and and, uh, and everything else sort of as, as second. He's just someone that I, I, I trust and I know that you know we're lucky that we're kind of talking to him most days and now we still have a uh, World Cricket League Division 2 chat group from 2019 when we're all down there in, in Namibia and I remember sitting 
uh, in a bar with with uh, Paul Radley from the UAE just after the 2019 qualifiers, and we we're talking about emerging cricket and what the future was, and you know what the, the plans were, and the discussion came up about PDP of saying, you know, how cool would it be to have someone like him as part of emerging cricket, and you know, if you could find money and backers, it would back you know someone like us trying to amplify his stories. And I said, well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that because the whole point of us is trying to amplify and kind of get around the edges of, of what's done elsewhere, and we. I'd rather him being at at Crick Info because the chances of of more people reading the stories that we want to read and all we do is is dovetail with with the stuff that he does rather than replicating it and we're just trying to get to different places so it's sort of interesting to look at it from that perspective of of who we are and why we exist and it's to add to the great work that that I'd seen him doing and was doing not by himself because he's always got a, t- a team around him that does that gets stuff up and puts it out there but he does so so many things himself I like to see him in action oh in the UAE in 2019, he's sitting there watching. It's a sight, he, isn't it? He, he's scoring. He's walking around the boundary, taking photos, getting some of the best photos there, getting them up and out so they can be put up on on Crick Info. But also then writing his report, insightfully interviewing, not just asking bog standard questions. He he knows every player that he's watching. He's the kind of journalist that you want covering your game. And I I know that there are elements of the USA cricket community that find him abrasive or they've kind of gone off him. I just see him as a guy that cares. Yeah. Tries to back up what he thinks with with facts and and reason you know if i'm if i'm ceo of usa cricket i'd be thinking about employing him because he's seen it all he knows the characters he knows the game he knows what works he knows other sports because he's got skills beyond journalism and not just selling knives if you ever need to go and listen to it listen to his story and and i I just look and as you say he will find something or someone will find him and look if i was a trust fund kid that was just sitting on this uh you know bank account that i was burning a hole in my uh in my pocket then uh you know well, emerging cricket will probably look very different anyway, <laughs> but I just hope that it happens sooner rather than later. It just, it just seems a really strange decision to me. And yeah, his contract's coming up, but you know, it's not like his contract was for ten million dollars a year. And Disney, ESPN are looking at it going, oh well, you know, we're not going to, you know, we can't afford him. American cricket is just about to be on the global scale, or the global scene with with major league cricket and there's a guy here from there who's been writing about american cricket continuously for the cricket world's largest news website and you've been him <laughs> a couple of months out from their from their inaugural event i i, I don't I don't get it. And and that's just from the American perspective. You know, is that Crick Info telling us that the American perspective is going to be seen through a, an Indian lens and they're going to have their Indian writers writing about the Major League Cricket for Indian viewers rather than PDP that has written for a global audience incorporating India, but for everyone else? I'd, 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 maybe we should try and get Sambit Bowl on to so, uh, talk to him about the decisions that are made. But he was probably given a, a list of numbers and, and people and... and, and that's not a not a fun job for anyone. But that's just the American perspective, let alone associate cricket. What does this tell us about ESPN Crick Info's perspective of coverage of associate cricket? And I and I and I want to get all conspiratorial, I think I think that's a word. Mr. Nixon can tell me if it isn't, about it, but how this links with the ICC's decision to not have a global super league and to kind of really put a, a gap between the, the have and the have-nots. Does Crick Info go, well, we've been paying for this guy to cover associate cricket for all this time, and look, they're not going to be... The Netherlands isn't going to be playing against anyone that these big series, you know, I, I think we can cut this and we don't really have to worry too much about it. And this is... I, I dare say if they expanded the Super League, uh, of which America would have ha- had a chance to be part of if you go out to sort of 18 or, or so teams, and I know this is operating in a, in a Tim Cutler universe, but then... <laughs> 
there'd be more there'd be more reason for the world to know more about these teams but the decisions that have been made despite seeing a larger world cup but that'll only be for a couple of weeks every every two years 50 over a point of view that saying oh let's not bother this guy that travels around the world stays in airbnbs survives on breakfast cereal from the on the passenger seat breakfast cereal and five guys i think that's basically what pdp sort of survives on when he's when he's covering cricket and i know we're all we'll all see him again but um yeah it's just a just a sad day and this the spectrum for me as you say just sad for him but then also what this means for espn's perspective on on what associate cricket is just i think another example or just i suppose an anecdote from our point of view to kind of hammer in the point of just how passionate pdp is about associate cricket and the way it's covered you know he's an emerging cricket patron he pledges his money to emerging cricket and it's funny as one of our patrons he'll probably get an extended version of this show and a lot of it will just be talking about him but you know he's been a huge believer in the rising tide floats all boats way of thinking when it's come to cricket media and I, I think for someone like him and and even someone like Bertus de Jong as well who who we do speak to on a daily basis you know when we started almost five years ago now, it could have been very easy for them in the space to be, I suppose, a little bit more cautious, maybe even frosty or maybe just a little bit standoffish about the whole thing. But they were both, you know, so supportive of, of what we were trying to do and, and, and trying to amplify everything that was, was going on at the time. And there's no one that is as interconnected into the associate game, I think, than someone like PDP was and and probably still is really I mean okay yeah now there are more voices in the emerging game and the stories are being told a little bit more in in different pockets around the space but you know you go back 10 years and yeah if it wasn't for for PDP randomly at a World Cricket League event in Jersey or I don't know in in some far-flung corner of the globe you would be none the wiser as to how all of that was going and all of the the names and all of the scores would only be letters and numbers on a scorecard and you know with PDP PDP, you got perspective. And again, you know, without PDP, you know, you're relying on secondhand sources or, or a stream, thankfully, now in 2022 and 2023 that we get to watch, you know, everywhere we go now. But yeah, thoroughly disappointing. And yeah, as you mentioned, you know, with MLC around the corner, PDP doesn't really have a, a, a gig covering cricket in some regard, then, you know, it's it, it, it's a waste for, for all of us. And there's a T20 World Cup, as we mentioned, next year in the USA and the Caribbean. No one knows... <laughs> USA Cricket Affairs, I think, more than PDP. And just as a final sort of wrap-up point to to what you said there about, you know, people within USA Cricket not seeing eye-to-eye to him, well, I mean, it's only because PDP probably called them out on most of their BS, quite frankly, over... Over the years, you know, they were probably of the belief that for a long time there that they would be able to go hidden, unseen and, and uncovered. And yeah, ultimately they were uncovered in a different way by Peter Delapena calling them out on their BS. So yeah, it's it's hugely disappointing. And again, I think we will see him pop up somewhere. If he wants to take a break from cricket, then by all means, he, he deserves one. Um, I, I know what it's like when, you, when you've got your nose to the grindstone every single day across multiple roles and yeah the octopus we called him when he was doing about eight different things at once with eight eight limbs trying to to ensure all the coverage got out there it's a it's a huge disappointment and yeah i think this is sort of a, a good opportunity for us to say sort of thank you to pdp for for what he's done over over this time because yeah he's done an immense job for for the game absolutely Thank you, PDP. I think that just about wraps it up, Tim, unless you've got anything more. We've just recorded for 90 minutes. So <laughs> thank you for 
joining us back on the pod again. Good to see you. I'm very glad to be catching up with you in person very soon and hopefully we'll have some sort of content, I think, from from all of that given that we'll be in the same spot and we have some interesting, fascinating people in, in cricket uh, around us. But uh, yeah, thanks again. First of all, to Nick who, who had to sort of pop out early, but Tim, uh, thanks for jumping on. No, my pleasure. It's been been too long but we've sort of found a time that we're all available and i guess with, with us both being in png it'd be rude us not doing this again together soon yes agreed emergercrew.com for all the coverage of the cricket world cup qualifier and beyond a huge shout out to the likes of sharon Saka, tom grunshaw rod lyle who's been so so good on the uh the qualifier content both pods and and written work over the last couple of weeks a huge shout out to those guys it's been great listening uh, almost as a punter and everyone else contributing in the emerging game. Uh, but for now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick, and Tim Cutler, as well as Nick Skinner, it's goodbye for now.